Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. The wise person doesn't ask, what have I achieved, but rather, what have I contributed? And that's by Marianne Williamson. And I want to welcome you again to this next episode of The Profitable Photographer. And my gosh, you're in for a treat. I know I say that every week. (laughs) And you know, I love making new friends, but I also love getting to have a great chat with someone that has been a teacher in this industry and a mentor to, I don't know, millions maybe. (laughs) At least thousands and thousands of photographers. Um, So I get to share Don McGregor with you um, before I introduce him. So I have some good news to share. I'm going to be starting a group program called Your Best Year Yet. It's a mastermind group. And that was by popular vote. I took a survey. So thank you for those people that voted. If you'd like to know more about it, you can send me an email to Lucy with an I at lucydumas.com or you can hit me up on Facebook in my messaging. So be sure also that you have joined my private group, The Profitable Photographer, and liked my page, uh, The Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas page so that you can get the notices about that because this is a time when we want to launch ourselves forward, reset, and have not just a survival next 12 months, but like the best one ever. So that's my news. Uh, so <laughs> when I asked Don to send a bio, his bio said he's been creating environmental portraits and photographing weddings since 1970 in Vancouver. In 50 years or so, his business and industry has seen many changes, especially the way photographers reach out or service their clients. But he missed out on, uh, let's see, he's a master craftsman photographer. He's the recipient of the Joseph Karsh Lifetime Achievement Award. He's a Canadian fellow, which is pretty much the highest award a photographer can get and lots of other things. So Don, way to, um, <laughs> way to not brag about everything you've achieved. That's the Canadian way. I know. Yes. Oh, and he's Canadian. So welcome, Don. I'm super excited to have you on the show. It's a pleasure, Lucy. I'm glad I can contribute to your program and hopefully inspire some people. We were talking about before we started recording that there are people that I wish I could uh, have an interview with now that are no longer with us. And not saying, Don, that you're not going to be with us for another 40 years or so, but your 50-year career means that, you know, you've got a lot of experience and a lot to share. And also what I left out is that you've been teaching. How many years had you been in the business when you decided it was time to also teach? I started sharing here in Canada at little workshops and things, probably about 1982, 83 sort of thing, early 80s. And at that time, I also uh, moved into the president's chair for the Professional Stars of Canada, and that kind of propelled that a little bit too. But I started coming down to the States there about 28, 29 years ago. That's been a fabulous experience. I've got amazing friends all over the United States, which is one of the benefits of having a privilege of sharing your experience. So if you have any inkling to teach, know that the benefits grow you and enrich your life in ways that are just immeasurable. I'm going to add to that, if I might, Lucy. 
when you are privileged, and I use that word carefully, privileged to share your experience, because none of us are educators, we are photographers that are working photographers. When we're privileged to be able to share our experiences, we become better photographers, you know, to be able to convey concepts about lighting or posing or marketing or sales processes, it makes us a better photographer. So, you know, really sharing your experience with other photographers will enrich your life, will make you a better photographer, a better businessman all the way around. Absolutely true. And what's cool when you're the teacher is if you're doing photography demonstrations, they bring you the most amazing models and you have the whole class to be your, your assistants. So that's pretty fun. Yeah. It, it is sometimes though. I mean, I've never been one to say, you know, just bring me hot looking young women or men or something of that nature too. I want to be able to photograph in my class everyday people, not professional models, because that's what we as photographers, you know, we don't get models coming into our studio daily. We get everyday people. We get little ones, big ones. We get round ones. We get skinny ones. I mean, we get everything under the sun and being able to handle the, the challenging ones, I think is something that people appreciate when they're in a class because they can see that, you know, it's a real life situation. But you are right. Meeting the people and, and having the opportunity to photograph people is really quite an exciting experience all the way around. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school, um, which I'm sure sent me up to be a photographer, I was the editor of my yearbook. Mm -hmm. And on the page where we were introducing the teachers, I found a poem where the first line is, each day I learn more than I teach. And that has stayed with me. And that seems exactly like what you're talking about. Yeah, I couldn't agree more because it is, and you never stop learning, you never stop growing. And the day you think you know it all, <laughs> that's the day you might as well lock the door up. But it's funny you mentioned high school because I did the same thing. I was involved in the high school yearbook photography things. And I was actually working at a local studio in Vancouver when I was still in high school. I was photographing babies on a, a white polar bear skin kind of rug or skin rug, you know, the old style of things. And I was even photographing weddings for that studio when I was still in high school. I didn't even have my driver's license. My grandmother, this little old white haired lady used to drive me to my weddings. <laughs> Grandma, park around the corner. Don't let anybody see. <laughs> which was terribly embarrassing then, although today it's an incredibly fond memory today. Yeah. So you and I have a common starting point through high school and photography and drawing through that. Yes. I didn't do any photography. I did the layout design and managed the team and all of that and had no idea that I was meant to be a photographer. But I know all of that, you know, cropping and layouts and assignments and visualizing and all of that, the storytelling aspect of photographs grew a part of my brain that then when I got a 35 millimeter and took my first four photographs, it was like the world, you know, like the rays of sun and oh, angels singing. <laughs> so. You know, you bring up something interesting and, and I realize we're allowed to wander a little bit on this kind of interview podcast kind of thing. But when you use the word storytelling, I actually feel that that is one of the missing links that a lot of photographers fail to vision. I'm using my words very carefully fail to vision today. There's a lot of people out there that just take photographs. And you know, if you want to relate this a little bit to marketing and, and building a better, stronger business, if you're out there just taking pictures, and I'm using the word picture in kind of a negative way, because we don't just take that, we create portraits and photographs. If that's all you're doing, then all you're doing is something that anybody can do, even with their iPhone. Mm -hmm. Photographers that are the most successful photographers in our business, and I say successful artistically and financially, they are photographers that create a vision for our clients. 
you know, they gather information, they express their concepts, their ideas that they might like, and then they put it all together. A perfect example is I did a session many years ago. I had a mom come into the studio. And we talk, talk, talk. She's got three kids. It was a gift for her husband. And we decided to go down to the beach, We, you know, which is fine for me. I, I live in Vancouver. We've got beautiful beaches. And she was walking at the door. And she put her hand on the doorknob. And she said, well, oh, that's a silly idea. And I said, what, what exactly do you mean silly idea? So, well, my husband actually has two loves in his life. One is his children. And I'm going, good. That's really good. good. <laughs> and he said, the other is his float plane. Is a what? Float plane. Okay. Plane that lands in the water. Mm-hmm. And I said, really? He said, well, tell me more about that. So I started probing and asking questions. And she shared that he would take the kids camping up to some of the lakes above Vancouver and in the mountains. And they'd go fishing and camping and they'd fly the plane up there and so forth. And you know, I'm, literally, I'm gathering information, trying to build a vision of something that would be very unique for that dad. And finally, I turned and said, you know, where does he keep the plane? And she explained it was, I said, I know exactly where that is. It was down along the Fraser River, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, scratch the beach. Can you see in your mind a photograph of the kids walking up the dock? You know, the tide is out. The ramp is going down. They've got their backpacks on. They've got their fishing poles. And the plane is tied to the dock in the background with the river winding away in the distance. And those are almost exactly the words that I used. Mm. Now, do you think it was very difficult to sell that lady on the idea? Do you think it was very difficult you know, to sell a, a decent wall portrait to that person? Creating an image that's gonna be so impactful for the father, and that's part of that missing link that a lot of people are not doing. They're just taking photographs and they're looking at technology. Hey, I'm triggering off five different lights or I'm using wide angle lens from a low angle and I make them look really goofy. You know, anybody can do that kind of thing. But creating a portrait that has a story that people embrace, that captures the, the personalities and the lifestyle I have, that's a little bit more of an effort to do, but it is incredibly more rewarding artistically and financially. Yes. So because this podcast is called The Profitable Photographer, I love how you looped the visioning, the portraits, and one of your fortes that you teach that I want to ask you a few questions about a little bit later in this conversation, but is about how to create those beautiful portraits that you looped it to. And therefore, when it's customized and when it's beautifully done, the chance of more profitability is greatly increased when we take the time to plan and tell a story that's their story, not like there's someone in San Diego. I, I don't know if he still lives here, but when I started, his signature was he took people to a particular beach and everyone wore white shirts and jeans and you always knew it was his and that's all he did, which is fine. And he had a business, he did well, but many times I had clients say, well, I came to you because I want something that fits us. And I see that you do different locations, you do different clothing, you tell different stories, as opposed to some people who just do white shirts and jeans on the beach. So personalizing it, you know, I love how you highlighted that. I'm sure there are people who are listening now that like their minds are blown. You know, I'd like to take that. A, I'd like to take that a step further, Lucy, and, and kind of reinforce that because reinforcement of skills or concepts and ideas is how we really educate. I'll come back to this business of visioning, which is what you're talking about and I'm talking about. I did a session again a number of years ago, talking to this dad. He's a university professor, and you know, we're the consultation process is where you 80% of, of the sale is made during the consultation process. 80% of the clients respect for you and trust of what you do it comes during the consultation process mm -hmm. and part of that is this visioning thing and this particular case uh, dad university professor we're talking and we were going to go down to the beach 
because, you know, they're close to me. And on a whim, and I, I had no idea why I said this, on a whim, I said, well, tell me about when you were a younger family. What did, what did you do in a younger family? And he told me this. He said, I used to, I was not a tenured professor. On Sundays, I would go down to Stanley Park, which is a big park in Vancouver, mm-hmm. an area called Lumberman's Arch, and I'd have a picnic with my kids. Now, I'm, I'm summarizing it. He expanded on it a little bit. And I asked a few more questions about that. And I turned to him and I said, you know, so let's stop for a second. We can still go to the beach if you want to. But can you imagine a portrait? If we put it in today's perspective, your daughters are now in their 20s, and we put an adult version of that picnic together, and we could go down to Stanley Park. We could do it on a Sunday afternoon. And here's a key comment. I said, if you're interested in investing in a wall portrait, I'd be more than happy to come down on a Sunday afternoon. That's a very carefully scripted set of words. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, rather than peanut butter and jam sandwiches and soda, I noticed you enjoy your wine because it was in his home at a beautiful wine rack. I said, we could have crackers and cheese and open a bottle of wine and recreate an adult version of that memory you had with your children when they were young. That's this kind of visioning that if you take the time to probe people, to ask questions and to listen, then you can start to create concepts that make it impossible for them to say no. You know, one of the most powerful statements that I've ever heard in my career was at the Wall Portrait Conference with the late Ken Whitmire. And that is the following. Is the price too high or the purchasing desire not high enough? Mm. Too often we get hung up on the price. Oh, they don't charge as much, you know, as I do. So I better lower my prices. Or, I mean, we should not get hung up in that because if people want something bad enough, they will find a way to buy it. And I'll use this reference, you know, uh, women, okay? If you see a pair of shoes in the mall, or a purse, you know, anything like that too. You know, it doesn't matter if your credit card is maxed out. You will find a way to buy that if you want it bad enough. And us guys are no different. If we see a, a putter in a sporting goods store, then just know it's $500, but it's, I know it's going to lower my handicap. It's not going to, but we think it will. We will find a way to buy it. When we put what we call emotional symbols into our portraits, which is what I've been talking about with that vision, those two stories I told were emotional symbols. When we incorporate emotional symbols into our portraits, the clients desire them a great deal more. They have to have them. They want to have that memory. They want to have that story because of the symbolism that we tell within that photograph and within that portrait. Does that make some sense how I explained that? Completely. Can you do that quote again? I like that so much. I think it bears repeating. It really is. It's it, Again, it comes directly from Ken from many years ago. Is the price too high or the purchasing desire not high enough? I love it. And my first self-employment opportunity, I ran a little business in the San Diego airport selling travel insurance and exchanging currency. And I told the my employees, who a lot of them had never sold anything, was that our job was to fully educate and build a connection. And then if they say no, it's because they really don't want it. And education is not just like, here is what you get for this, but develop that desire and that understanding of the value of what we do. And then if they say no, it's because it isn't right for them or it's not in their budget, not because we're not worth it. But, uh, you know, that's our, to me, that's job one is communicating the value and the benefit. So I love how you put that in. Anytime we can quote Ken Whitmire, you know, that makes me happy. (laughs) I've been in your classes several times where you taught specifics about how to photograph families outdoors. And every time, even if it's the same thing I've heard before, it hits me and I take notes and I go, yeah, that's right. I need to remember that. Okay, so four or five key ingredients in posing families in environments or however many you think is appropriate, but like a step-by-step. 
checklist? Sure. Uh, let me start that reply for you this way. A lot of people, you know, they don't have studios, so we're an environmental photographer, and they just take people out into a field and just basically plunk them down without any thought to design, without any kind of thought to the depth of the background or the background how the relationship to the subjects, and they just look like snapshots. And the biggest problem that people have today, if your photographs look like snapshots, it's really hard to get paid. It's very difficult because clients are looking at and going, well, I can do that too. You know, and many of our clients have better cameras than we do, which is kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. So we have to put into play some design elements along with lighting elements that create an image that the clients cannot do. So when we come to our family groups, I'll start it this way. A lot of people are afraid to do groups and design groups, but it really is easy with the following principle. A group of 10 is simply 10 groups of one linked together. Mm. Group of 10 is 10 groups of one linked together. You link them together by using design elements like diagonals and triangles. Those are two of the most common things to do. So I always build my groups horizontally. I do not build my groups with depth. And there's multiple reasons which we don't have time to get into today, but I build them horizontally. And I try to do diagonal lines and I try to build triangles. One of the most important parts of creating groups that are powerful visually is to give everybody equal representation in the group. Mm. That is a very key element. Give everybody equal representation of the group, unless you're hiding a weight issue. You know, and that's, and that's easy to understand. The reason I say that is I've seen too many times where people put a bunch of people together and here's a brother and sister standing side by side and the other brother's behind them peeking between their heads. He looks like a bobblehead doll. He's not equally <laughs> represented. He's not part of the family. He's just this little bobblehead doll sticking up between other people. And if you take a moment to think like a customer, if that was you sticking out like a bobblehead doll behind somebody or you're barely visible, you wouldn't probably say why you didn't like the photograph, You, but you wouldn't like it. It would bother you, but you'd probably have a hard time defining why. And the reason is you're not represented roughly equally with everybody else. Mm -hmm. So giving everybody equal representation and to do that, everybody heads wise should be more or less the same distance apart. It's not taking a micrometer or a string and measuring it all, but roughly, okay? If you do that, if you build your groups diagonally or horizontally with diagonals and triangles, you give everybody roughly equal representation by having the heads roughly the same distance apart and not clumping them together. That's a key thing. I should have said that. Too many days, times say people just clump people together. Open the group up. Give them space. Give them you know, personalities within the larger group. Two things will happen if you follow that principle. And just so you're aware, uh, Lucy, um, I do something with my classes and I PD after after I teach a class and it's called the river, personal reason mm -hmm. I call it the river. And I do diagrams and show how the people are posed and why they're posed this way and di you know, lighting diagrams, that sort of thing too. If your people that listen to this would like to get a copy of that, what they could do is email you and maybe you know, later you can get your email address out there and I'll send you a couple of the river things from some of my classes that you can share with people of what I'm talking about that might reinforce a little bit of this. But coming back to what I was saying, if you follow those, those key principles, your groups will, they won't look like just a sardine can of people coming together. They will demonstrate that you know what you're doing. They will demonstrate that you are an artist, that you're using design elements rather than just taking pictures. Right. When you do that, you're going to get paid, paid and compensated much, much better. So number one is in a group, you're actually posing 
One person at a time. One person at a time. You're using diagonals and triangles. And I am not hearing, and when I think of your work, I don't think of it as just one each family's posed in a triangle, but that there are triangles within the group. Exactly. Let's build a triangle. You know, when you build a group, Lucy, one person at a time. I mean, obviously, you know, my family arrives, I've got seven people in the family. I'm trying to build a concept in my head first a vision of how I want to pose them. So I will go down to the beach road, to the park or wherever I'm working, and I'm going to study the area. I got seven people. I, Dad's six foot eight, so I got to cut him down to size. And, you know, I try to build a rough idea of what I want to do. I've got some logs here. I've got some rocks here. I can do that. And then I'm going to start to put the people together one person at a time. I'm going to bring Dad in sitting on that rock because I've got to get him down. He's just way too tall. And he'll, he'll overshadow everybody. So I bring Dad in there too now. I'm going to bring Mom in. I'm going to bring Mom in over to the left. She's going to be standing in this particular case, and their heads are maybe three feet apart. And I'm just picking a number out of the air. Mm -hmm. I want to bring the sun in, so I want to bring the sun in, and maybe I should make extend that diagonal line, or perhaps I should bring that diagonal line down to form a triangle, roughly the same distance apart. So I'm building that group horizontally, one person at a time. Right. And again, though, the, uh, the PDFs for that river thing too will demonstrate to your people that do take the time to respond to you exactly how that works, because I have a lot of them in there. Yes. So something I think you said a minute ago was about by having them lean and bend or something. What was that? Uh, when you're building the triangles, our great friend, Victor Avila, you knew Victor, knew Victor yes? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. And he always said, if it bends, bend it. Yes. And so something I see a lot, I'm sure you do as well with people who are learning uh, to do fine art family portraits is that people are too straight. People are standing on two feet, the same weight, their legs, their arms and legs are straight, their heads are, you know, they're just kind of standing there. And part of my journey in becoming a better family photographer was remembering to lean people in, to bend those arms, to to not just have a head on top of my neck, but maybe lean lean it on a shoulder of someone or so can you explain your thought process with that? You're, you're exactly right with that. And I try to expand on it with my words. A lot of times, or how many times I can put it this way, how many times have you heard clients say, we don't like posed pictures? Mm -hmm. if, I, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard that over my career, I, I'd be quite wealthy because they don't. We, we pose people, we actually put too much effort into posing them rather than creating something that is comfortable and natural. So my approach for something like that is very much like you're saying, you know, you do not want to be stiff and rigid. That's dangerous. It's very dangerous to do that type of a look. But to be able to, to put that together effectively in a photograph, I literally demonstrate to my client what my vision is, what, how I want them to sit, where I want them to sit, how I want them to stand. People are not models. They don't know what we're talking about. And I've, I've watched photographers in the past go, well, you stand over there, just turn a little bit to your left or something. No, no, no. That's not demonstrating professionalism. And then that's part of what I'd like to be able to talk a little bit about when we close down here is professionalism. But when you go to where you want them to be and say, this is how I would like you to sit, two things happen. They can see what you're looking for, but you yourself are also realizing, is this comfortable? Mm -hmm. Is this real? Do I feel strong and masculine? Do I feel feminine the way I'm standing? If you're, you're demonstrating it to a woman. By actually demonstrating what you're trying to convey to the clients, you yourself are going to realize, yes, this is good. This is comfortable. This is natural. Mm -hmm. And that's going to come across in your photographs. Plus, your clients are going to have a great deal more respect for you, for your skills, 
And of course, when you have respect, you have respect for the financial response you're wanting. Higher sales, better referrals, more repeat clients, all all the good stuff. So there's one piece in your class that I always like do a head slap and think, why don't I remember that every time? And it's about, because I love outdoors. I love to create portraits where if you took the people out, it's still a beautiful scene. And you do that like times a thousand and where you live, you've got so much beauty. Um, Talk about how you decide, this is a little test to see if you're going to guess at what it is that I had slap, how you decide where to place the people in that scene that you've designed. I'm not sure what you're driving at uh, with that too. So that you put them close to the camera. My default sometimes is that they're too far away in the scene. We are on the same page. That's what I was going to get at. Okay. Best way I can describe it is talk about it doing an in-home portrait. Um, and it relates exactly to an outdoor portrait. Whenever I see photographers doing portraits in their home, they'll walk into a home, they'll walk into the living room, and they'll go, gee, that corner looks good. That's a pretty corner over there. This corner over here, we can't work in there because there's a mirror right there. And what they're doing when they do that is they're putting the people into the background of the scene rather than drawing them forward into the foreground and letting the background fall away. My approach in an in-home portrait is I'll walk in, if I see a beautiful living room, I'll go, wow, that's a great living room. I love all, I love the draperies. I love the tapestry. I love the whatever it is. And I'll draw people into the foreground. It's more difficult to light, but it creates a photograph that has depth. So let's translate that into an environmental portrait. When I've got a, a situation, I want to try and draw the people dominantly into the foreground, usually into a PowerPoint, which is the rule of thirds, and let the background fall away. We're not just photographing a scene. We're not just photographing a pictorial. We're photographing a family within that scene. So we need to draw them forward, 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 forward into the scene. Mm-hmm. I was pulling old eggs and scanning them the other day from, because we're all in the lockdown and isolation now, and I'm doing a lot of scanning. And I found a photograph I had done actually the same time that I did the portrait of Ken Whitmire that you and I were talking about earlier. And it was my friend, Mike and Paul. And you know, we were hiking way up uh, the coast there. We were photographing killer whales by kayak and hiking and having a great time. And I found this situation and I put them into the scene. They're very small in the scene. Mm-hmm. It's a great photograph. You know, we called it Miller time because they were hiking and they were looking you know, at their compass and they had a beer in their hand and blah, blah, blah. It's a great photograph, but it lacks one compelling part of the story. You look at this and go, hey, there's a great photograph of a couple of people hiking, but it wasn't a portrait of Mike and Paul because they were not dominant within the photograph. Had I found a way, in this case, I couldn't have done it, to draw them forward in the photograph within that scene, then I would have had an amazing image of that scene hiking up Kaikesh Creek, and I would have had an amazing image of my friends. As it is, it's a really cool image, you know, a couple of people hiking in a scene. Does that make some sense how I explained that? Yes, yes. And I know that, like, for me, my intention is for them to decorate their whole house with portraits. Mm-hmm. So that particular photograph I might take and say, this would be awesome for the living room because it's an art piece that happens to have you in it. But in the family room, this one where it's still a beautiful background, but you're closer and you, we can experience the connection with the family and enjoy you, that one would be great for this area. So I do several different things. But uh, if people were only to purchase one, I know they always want the one where they can 
actually see their faces and feel that emotion and the and so if we take a moment and think like a customer when we see photographs of ourselves what's the first thing we do we look at ourselves we look at our expression we look at you know how we look within that image mm -hmm. and our clients do the same thing and if the people are not dominant and that doesn't mean you can't leave space around them storytelling space that the people are not dominant it's really difficult for them to to understand it and embrace it you know one of the sayings that i use literally when i'm talking to my clients and going through the selling process is the following statement and that is the only way you can enjoy an eight by ten is when you're dusting it <laughs> and that's very true you know and if you take a, an image and you know, the people are very very small within that frame okay they can't they got to bring a magnifying glass up to do it and i'll literally share with my clients if i've done an image similar to that i'm going to let them know at the time of the session mrs jones the image i just created here too the only way that you'll be able to really appreciate this is in a more adequate size because you're going to be a little bit smaller in the scene so we can capture the joy that you have you know looking out over how sound or you know the mountains or whatever it might be you know when you talk about you know the marketing and the sales and some of those other things i know we're wandering here but most of us that do this, we sell with scripts. Scripts are sets of words that we use to a client. They've got to be honest. They've got to be sincere and believable. But they are things that we say over and over and over again to reinforce the value and to reinforce the purchasing desire that clients have. And so much of that is done not in the sales room. The sales room should only be, do you like picture A or do you like image B or whatever it might be? And let's look at the size. The process should already be done from the initial consultation mm -hmm. during the actual session. You know, Mrs. Jones, the image I just created here, I know you're gonna love it. I know you may not have been interested in something hanging on your wall, but I hope you'll allow me to show you the potential of this. Mm, I like that. Yeah, it's I'm asking permission to continue talking about it during the session. She can't say no unless she's being a real or easy. <laughs> and that gives you the opportunity to share your vision and concepts with your client. Right. Right. You know, it's the, the sales room is really, you know, just closing. And let me take a second to explain something else that I've been doing a lot with my classes lately. Hold on a sec, because I have a little thought I wanted to share. Um, so can you put a pin in that and I'll, yep. mm -hmm. we'll get right back to it. Mm -hmm. So when I started coaching, uh, I, I didn't clearly understand the system that I have for selling and why I often sell three to eight wall portraits and more. Mm -hmm. And I began to see that I have a script and there's things I say over and over and over again. And I have pulled all of that together. And if people are listening regularly, they know that I have an online course that has all of my specifics of how I take somebody from a warm lead to those great sales. And it's those like my telephone when I'm saying, let me tell you a little about how I work. Everything's very personalized. I found out about your family, how you decorate and then create an images that will tell your story, something like that. And I probably said that, I don't know, thousands and thousands of times. And it's been fun as a coach to discover those scripts that I use and then be able to formalize it and share it with my coaching clients and people who listen on podcasts regularly. So I love that you're saying that, that sales is having a system and scripts. I just wanted to put a little exclamation point on that and that you have one, even if you don't know it, but is it one that works <laughs> is the question. Let me also share something else because I know we have a limited amount of time today yes. and it's very difficult over an audio recording to share visual imagery. It's, we have to use the words, but there's also a strength in doing that. We have words and when the more that we use words to convey our vision to clients, the more respect and trust they have in what we do. Mm -hmm. So learning to use the words is very important. 
There's another thing that, that I've been doing a, for some time now, and that has been a big, big game changer in my business. I'm not sure if you do it. I wouldn't be surprised if you do. And I'll describe it this way. About 10 days ago, I had a client come in and session on short notice, no consultation. The mom phone, it's her 70th birthday in two days. Can I do it at four o'clock in the afternoon on a day that we're normally closed? And although we've been closed all these last months, and I'm thinking, I want the business. So, you know, yes, I will do this on a day that I'm closed at four o'clock in the afternoon. And I knew that I had to, to take some time to start the process by explaining what we do and how we do it, because there was no consultation. The closest consultation was talking about clothing on a telephone, which you know, that's, has its limited value. But I explained to the clients about what a master image is. And I'll, I'll continue and explain that in detail for you guys here in a second. But what was really exciting, the clients listened to me. They were all adults except for a couple of young children. And by the time I'd finished explaining what we do and how we do it and this concept of a master image, they were turning around and saying, we can't wait to see what you can produce. We can't wait to see. And they were using the word master image. Mm. And this has changed my business because what I do today is if I photograph a family and I do three different concepts, I do one on the beach, one on the rocks, and one on the grass, I'm going to show them three photographs. They're going to be fully finished. I'm going to do all the retouching, all this, you know, whatever I have to do. I'm going to switch heads if I have to. I'm going to create a master image. And the key, the absolute key to doing this successfully is, again, the words and the script that you use with your client. I will explain it during the time of the consultation, and I will reinforce it at the time of the session and reinforce it again when I phone them to set up the viewing appointment. And the way I do that is the following. Mrs. Jones, I so appreciate the trust that you've put into me to create your family portrait. And I'm going to ask you to extend that trust a little bit further. What I'm going to do when I get back to the studio is I'm gonna go through all these images, do my archiving and everything, but then I'm going to choose my favorite image and I'm gonna finish it to the very best of my ability. I'm gonna do any retouching, any enhancement, any tweaking that I want to do to show you the, what I see as a finished portrait. If you wish to see the others, by all means you may, but I don't think you're gonna to want to. Mm. Those are, I mean, it's a longer script and it changes every time I say it. If you ask me to repeat what I just said, I'll say it differently, but it'll be the same message. Mm -hmm. And the key being, Mrs. Jones, I hope you'll allow me to extend that trust a little bit further. Again, the client can't say no. They have to say yes to that, but it's explaining to them what I'm doing. I do not, I absolutely do not tell them I'm going to switch heads because they will go up to that projection screen and they will try and find it. Mm -hmm. you know, but that's what I will literally do. And if you're good with your Photoshop, you can do a good job of that situation. And actually what I did with this session I just did the other day, this well, a couple of young kids and things too. And I literally used maybe six or seven different images, you know, combined into one. And I brought that image up on the screen to Mrs. Sue, her last name is S-O-O, lovely lady. And I said, this is my vision of your family. And there, there was another emotional side to this whole session I just did, the reason reasoning for it, somebody was very ill. But she just looked at it and said, Don, I love it. That's that, It's fabulous. You know, and we just talked about it a lot. And we never even looked at another image. We never looked at it. She didn't even want to see another image. She looked at what I had done. And part of the key that to, to that success that too is also doing it the right way. Don't just slap something together and say, here's your master image. You know, put a serious professional effort into creating the very best image that you can do. You might ask yourself, isn't it a bit of a gamble to put in two or three hours of artwork, you know, and sometimes more? Yeah, it's a bit of a gamble, but I've never lost. It's always paid off. Ah. You know, people can find nothing wrong. They can't say, oh, I don't like Billy in this one. I don't like myself in this one. Right. You've tucked in their arms, you've lifted their whatever in the chin and stuff. You've, you know, they, they look great. They can't find any problems. There's no negatives to be spoken of. Right. 
So that's a very interesting, it's a little bit of a different business model than I do. And the way I photograph and my goals are a little bit different, but really I love that concept. And I'm sure for some people that want to grow in their portrait business with families, there are some people that are, it's like big game changer for them to think about doing it that way. Literally, Lucy, I, I do this beyond my families as well. I did an executive portrait a couple of days ago for this lady, CEO, and she's a more mature woman. I'm saying being politically correct, I hope. And she had some concerns and I addressed them. And I told her I'd make a master image of how I saw her. You know, I wasn't going to change her, but I was going to do what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. And in this particular case, I had to do it online. I just, I don't like doing that. I hate doing anything online for sales, but in this case I had to. Well, she took the time to phone me when she got home that evening and my phone forwards to my cell phone and said, Don, I love it. That's perfect. My husband loves it because I took the time to deal with some of those issues that you know, you had a little chickeny kind of a neck from age and lines and wrinkles and a couple of other little issues. She had nothing she could complain about. Mm -hmm. She went like, I look good. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that worked really well for you and a lot of people that you teach and other friends and colleagues of ours. So yeah, thank you for sharing that and blowing some people's minds out there. <laughs> I like that. So I know there was another something you wanted to touch on. Before we do, I wanted to ask you how people can get in touch with you if they have a question and where they can see your beautiful photographs. Um, if my website is www.macgregorstudios.com and it is all one word spelt M-A-C-G-R-E-G-O-R-S-T-U-D-I-O-S. MacGregor, a good Scots name, MacGregorStudios.com. Okay, doke. And then Don at Mac. Yeah, if somebody wanted to email me, ask me any questions or anything like that, it's Don at MacGregorStudios.com. So thank you for that. And if you email me, Lucy at LucyDumas.com and put the river or Don McGregor or something in bold, mm -hmm. then I will send out Don's PDF with those photographs and the sketches and things that he does, diagrams and circles and arrows and <laughs> all that stuff. I'd be happy to- Paragraphs with the circles and arrows. Do you remember exactly. that song? Yes, Alice's Restaurant. <laughs> we're, we're showing our age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, so what's that last? Um, we have just a little bit of time left, so. The other thing that I, I want to relate to people a little bit is, you know, we, we go to conventions, we see speakers that, and they've got these amazing sales and, you know, they've got this amazing respect and they want all the awards and things. The awards aren't really all that important. The more important thing is the amazing sales and the respect they have from their clients. And that I think is a missing link to a lot of what we do today. And here's, a, I can tell it in a couple of different ways. One, Image Exploration is a program I ran here in Canada for a number of years. And the first year I did it, Paul Skipworth came up and I have, I have an amazing, amazing respect for Paul Skipworth. He is an incredibly successful photographer, an incredibly good photographer. And it was kind of fun because I was introducing the instructors and some of them are people that we all know, the Doug Boxes and so forth. And they're dressed nicely in a pair of khaki slacks and a nice, you know, nice shirt and so forth. Well, Skipworth walks in wearing a three-piece Hugo Boss suit. And I heard a couple of them saying, who does he think he is? And I smiled inside. I didn't say a word. And it was really fun because the next day I overheard these people, because I actually went to talk to them. I said, 
How are you enjoying your class? I said, that guy's amazing. He is so amazing. Paul captured their interest, shocked them almost by his appearance. Mm -hmm. Your appearance as a professional is very important. Now, I'm not telling you that you have to wear a three-piece Hugo Boss suit. I mean, I know, you know photographers you know, that wear shorts. You know, Jamie Hayes, I've got amazing respect for Jamie Hayes. Okay, he wears shorts and, and casual shirts, not even tucked in, but he's also gained the client's respect. Paul did a shock treatment to those people, partly through his history and culture as a business person with his physical appearance. Other people can gain that respect through their presence, their, their way they talk, the way they act. The more that you can gain respect from a client, potential client, with your appearance, your vision, your words, the more respect you're going to have, the more control you're going to have over that session. And when the clients respect you, when the clients realize you are a professional, you're not just taking pictures. You're going to have a much easier opportunity to command compensation. It's how you talk. When you go into a lawyer's office, you know, do they wear jeans? They might have a jeans day once a month, but they don't bring clients in, mm -hmm. you know, because they want clients to be walk in and go, whoa. This is going to cost me a lot of money. These guys got to be good. You hear those words? These guys got to be good because look how successful they are. And that's part of what we need to convey as a professional industry to our clients. It doesn't have to be, you know, wearing a Hugo Boss suit. It doesn't hurt to be well-dressed, particularly when you're meeting clients for the first time. Right. But what you can do to kill yourself is dress in jeans with a lot of holes in them, which I know is popular for a lot of people or flip-flops, mm -hmm. some people can get away with it. Or legging, for women, leggings and a short top. Yep. Yep. And yes, I remember years ago when I did wedding photography, I would get compliments because I wore nice. At the time, it was popular to wear a skirt and a suit jacket. I do not like those anymore, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I was dressed appropriately, kind of like a guest, but, but a conservative guest. Mm -hmm. And... I can't tell you how many of the, the church ladies would want my card and compliment me and say, you know, you always show up as a professional and dress well, and you wouldn't believe how people show up. And I got work from those women because they wanted to refer someone who showed up as a professional. So exactly what you're saying. So Jeffrey Shaw, who's written a book called Lingo, was on my show um, probably six months ago. Have you heard of Jeffrey? No, I'm not familiar with the name, but I'm going to dig back in your archives and watch this. Yes. And he spoke at uh, Imaging in Atlanta a couple of years ago, and he was a very prominent photographer. I think Connecticut is where he moved to, and he talks about just what you're talking about, the importance of the vision, the words, the presentation, the studio, the everything, you know, creating the brand and the presentation that evokes the like you said, the respect of clients. So um, I think there might be a group of women out there that are thinking, what does Lucy have against leggings? <laughs> I wear them all the time. Uh, I just, um, I wear clothing that looks professional, but feels like pajamas now. <laughs> so so I can... That we're making here, Lucy. And, and again, I don't want to try and share to people that they have to go to their way to buy expensive clothes. I'm not saying that. There are two distinct ways of gaining respect immediately. One is with your physical appearance. That can be a very, very important factor to it. But it goes beyond that. It's how you talk to the clients. Mm -hmm. It's your command with your voice. Like, I'm blessed that I have a fairly strong voice. And you know, I will use it. I know it's strong. And I use it intentionally to gain respect mm. for my clients right out of the box. I want them to say, hey, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. We better pay attention to this guy. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, you know, do I get away with wearing shorts like Jamie does? <laughs> yeah, and I know how Jamie does it. I mean, I think Jamie's one of the best photographers and best speakers that I've ever met in this in your country. But Jamie does it to his personality. Mm-hmm. It's just an electric personality. He takes command. He takes control of a session when the clients are arriving. And he does it in a way that is fun. He does it in a way that's engaging. But he does it in a way that he has them completely within his control. They respect him. They know that he is a professional. And that's part of what I'm saying here in my closing remarks here is, you know, being a professional is more than a camera. You know, having a 50 megapixel camera or a 20 megapixel camera doesn't make anybody any better. It's their professional skills and understanding of posing and lighting and composition and also their professional skills about how to work with clients. The more that you have those skills polished, your sales are going to increase, your business is going to increase, your respect is going to increase. It's just going to get better and better. And... I imagine you would agree with this. As we grow into what you're talking about, our relationships with non-clients grow. Our magnetism for friends, for, I don't know, someone that falls in love with us, for how we are with our families and our neighbors. You know, we become a better version of ourselves by uh, learning how to present ourselves in a way that, that is magnetic to people. So I love that, Don. That is- There's a good friend of mine, uh, Smiley Urban from down in Texas. He's getting on in years now, but just a wonderful, wonderful character. Very successful, extremely successful. And he was driving me back to the hotel one time after class and we're in a parking lot and it was at Texas A&M University. And we were getting in the car and he looked over and he saw this guy walk out to go towards a car, a nice Mercedes, immaculately dressed. And how he got away with, I mean, this is, this is part of how you talk to clients. He said, excuse me, I want to introduce myself to this fellow. And he walked over and I didn't hear the exact words. I could hear a little bit of what he said, but he came back with an appointment to see this guy to talk about portrait photography. He was an executive. He was a a patron of the the college. And I mean, if I had gone over to that guy and said, I love your suit kind of thing. And uh, I probably wouldn't, you know, kicked where it hurts or or at least ignored (laughs) an ability with his personality to be sincere, to be engaging, to be fun to capture the interest of people. And he's got a strong voice. He's got a booming, booming voice. And, but it's also soothing and comfortable. He's able to use that quality to, to gain respect immediately out of the box. I love that because this is an aspect we really haven't talked about on my show specifically. Uh, so thank you for that final piece that in the way that you've presented it, that it's, it's the total package of learning how to present yourself as a trustworthy professional. So I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, that is all for now. Stay tuned for my wrap up. And Dawn, this has just been a delight. I knew it would be a great conversation and that I would learn some things because I always do from you. Oh, tell us about the World Photographic Cup in as Uh, quickly as you can, because I can't get away without the World Photographic Cup is something that was started a number of years ago in a bar, in a hotel. But it's one of the most exciting image competitions that I think anybody can get involved in. Essentially, it's like the Olympics of photography, where it's country against country. It's exciting because every country is on the same playing field. Every country is limited to 18 photographs, six categories, three photographs per category. So the playing field is level. A country like the United States that has 350 or so million people, you know, could just flood it with entries against a little country like Portugal. No, you know, every country's got an equal level playing field. And 
what I found to be most interesting about the World Photographic Cup is the learning curve and looking at the different style of images as you go around the world. We think we're pretty hot shots here in North America, Canada, the United States, but you step out of of North America, portrait photography is seen radically differently than we see portrait photography here in North America. So it's a great opportunity to learn and to grow. For your listeners, if, if it intrigues you at all, in the United States to become part of the United States entry, you have to be a member of PPA and submit images through their imaging competition. Where do we see some of these? Is there a website? Yes, World Photographic Cup, all one word, World Photographic Cup all one word, dot .org. You can look at the history of the last seven years that we've run this competition. You'll be able to see all the top 10 images of each of the categories for each of the years. You'll see the medalists and you'll see some amazing imagery. Yeah. <laughs> and how are you involved, Don? I know you're deeply involved. Um, I sit in the governing committee. I'm the one of the, the I'm, I guess I'm the only original person in the governing committee still there because they, they rotate out over the years from different aspects of things. We have a governor from Australia, Japan, Canada, there's two people in the United States, uh, Slovakia, Czechoslovakia, Denmark, Finland, uh, and our executive officers from Italy. And we work together. It's a very challenging thing to work together because we all have different personalities. And the way people run organizations, for example, a board of directors in Europe is way different than we do here in North America. So mm. we've got our hurdles, we've got our, our, our issues to, to cross, but we work together to, to try to, to build this amazing experience. And I got to share this with you. You, you. When you see people win a medal, and you see them come out of the stage singing their national anthem, waving their flag. It is power. I mean, you can hear that my voice is getting a little bit choked. Yeah, now, me too. But it is truly amazing to see that. We did the awards in Portugal four years ago. We choose the venue for the awards a couple of years before, and so before the competition takes place. By pure coincidence, Portugal won the cup. Those people came out of this beautiful old theater. They didn't come up to the aisles to come running up to the stage. They were crawling over the pews and the seats to get on that stage. Mm. They were all waving their flag. Mm. They were all singing their national anthem. It was amazing to see that, the pride in your country. You know, you, you look at the people at IUSA, because we, we announced, myself and a couple others, announced the, the top 10, and, and I can't think of his name right now, announced the American team, and they all had their team jackets on. To see the faces of those people, you know, there was 18 of them in front of me, the American team, wearing their jackets, I mean, they were proud to represent their country. Pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. And we don't have to like uh, have an entire lifetime of training on ice skates. <laughs> well, if you want to talk hockey, the Canadian team is always better than the American team. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't mean to be, you know, difficult here, but you yeah, know, yeah. hockey is our game. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So when you want to get a Canadian to not be so nice. Challenge on ice skating. <laughs> yeah, talk hockey. hockey. <laughs> Canada and the United oh. States is a huge rivalry with international hockey and the Olympics. Of course. I was thinking ice skaters, so you can tell the oh. difference. I don't even have any, you know, hockey. What's hockey? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Don. Lucy, well, I want to say thank you for the opportunity of contributing to your program. I think it's a very valuable thing that you're doing. And if I can help them any time in the future, don't hesitate to ask. Take care, everyone. Good luck. Thanks again. Bye. Another good one. I hope you listened to it twice because there was a lot of meat in there. So here's the quick summary. Um, he talked about family portraits. And one of the important things is about having a wonderful consultation where you discuss potential ideas that will create portraits that mean something to people. He used the word emotional symbols. 
And so kind of stretching beyond what locations and posing and different things you do all the time, when you present it as something that is special to them, that increases the sale, it increases your income, it is good all the way around. He quoted the great Ken Whitmire that I'm sure I'll be talking about for probably all the days that I'm doing these podcasts because he was such a dear man. And But he quoted Ken as saying, is the price too high or the purchasing desire too low if somebody says no? So that's something to think about how to create more desire. We discussed in detail posing families outdoors. And he said, we want to give a thought to the backgrounds, the design, putting into play good lighting, good design elements, and how posing a group is basically posing one person at a time, not let's just get a big clump of people together, but each person has their own space, their own value, equal value. Talked about creating triangles, but he wasn't meaning simply let's put people into one triangle shape, but to think about different groups of triangles. He always does horizontal and let's see, and the heads should be about an equal distance apart. It feels awkward if somebody is too close or if somebody is a little too far or too low. Let's say uh, a mother is holding a baby. If the baby and then the dad, if the baby's head is like double the space that the mom and dad's heads are, it, it feels weird. It feels kind of funny. He also talked about how putting people in the foreground of a nice environment, using the rule of thirds if it feels right, and making the subjects dominant in the photograph is a key way to make beautiful, but also very sellable and very profitable portraits, as opposed to a great big scene where the people are kind of way in the distance and small, although those are beautiful too. And I actually sell those, but the families and individuals, they love the pictures mostly where they are predominant subjects, as opposed to, let's say a fountain or something. Um, I love his quote, when we're talking about sizing, like someone says, oh, I, I just, I'll just take an eight by 10. He will say the only way you can enjoy an eight by 10 is when you're dusting it. And then he goes on to discuss how um, the value of larger portraits in our home uh, have a lot of emotional impact. Um, and then he talked about his method of what he calls creating the master image, which is to edit fully the, the image or images if they're are different subjects that he feels is the strongest and he that's what he presents. So it's a little different than my sales method. And absolutely, it's been super successful, not just for him, but for uh, many of our colleagues. Um, and then his last thing that he wants us to remember is the importance of how we present ourselves. And that includes our clothing, potentially, the words we use, the vision we have, the tone of voice, uh, coming across as a likable person, but with authority, with a certain magnetism. So those are some good things to think of. And then I encourage you to look up the World Photographic Cup uh, and it's worldphotographiccup.org because it will blow your mind to see what international photographers are doing. And this show has been listened to in 58 countries. So 
I'm sure there are a lot of you listening out there who will take a great deal of pride if you go to that link and see what your country has been entering in uh, the photographic cup. So that's it for now. Oh, so if you want to know more about your best year yet mastermind program, you can send me an email or you can hit me up on Facebook and keep your eye out on Facebook. Be sure to be in my private group and the page and find a way to get in my emails, perhaps downloading one of my gifts on my website and all that good stuff. And I am ready for the weekend. <laughs> so bye for now. Uh, here's a big, big, big hug coming your way. <laughs> bye. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one -on -one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.